Hi, and welcome to Journeys to Belonging podcast with host Dr. Eileen Winokur, featuring awesome educators and leaders who share their journeys, advice, and personal stories about feeling a sense of belonging. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Journeys to Belonging. I recently connected with today's guest when she posted an activity for creating a sense of belonging in the classroom on social media. It's called Belonging Books Bingo, and it caught my attention right away. I am really excited to get to know Rabia Kokar better. And uh, so welcome, Rabia. I can't wait to start uh, just getting to know you and, and letting our listeners get to know you also. How are you? Hi, everyone. I'm doing well. Thank you so much for the kind welcome. Uh, my name is Rabia Kokar. I'm currently um, an ESL itinerant teacher in the Toronto District School Board. Um, I'm also an equity and educational co consultant. Um, and yeah, I'm really excited to be here. Yes, and um, so I didn't really say too much other than uh, just a brief how we know each other, but there's mm -hmm. a lot more to you than that. Uh, let my listeners know more about you, um, other than that you're uh, sort of an itinerant teacher in, in Toronto, but there's a lot more to that. Yeah, uh, I guess I'm really passionate about like equity and social justice education um, and how that can like help strive to create more equitable communities, whether it's at a local or global level. And so, yeah, it's it's almost not like a job, but really like a passion with, with which I strive to live my life. Um, but yeah, I really am passionate about, you know, elementary school education and really thinking about what social justice education looks like with our youngest learners, because I think that's where we can really set a foundation and so this year, a lot of my work has been like having uh, or giving like workshops to educators, um, modeling how to do this work through my own like experiences. But it's also kind of like morphed into giving workshops to families um, and different communities as well as students. So I find that like really, really cool because um, I think to really create like to create like accessibility and equity we have to reach all different stakeholders in children's lives so that's like educators families and uh even students so i'm really like as i reflect more this year it's been really exciting to work with different like stakeholders but on the same like topic or the same or or, or like centering the same um like topic or commitment and how it can look like for different like stakeholders like you know the conversation is a little bit different with families uh, the conversation is different with students of different ages and the conversation is different with educators so yeah i feel like that is a lot of like the work that i strive to do and it's become this year particularly has really showed me like the potential of just doing this work and modeling and having conversations because Oftentimes, you know, we want to do this work, but we need to have like safe and comfortable conversations where we can sort of think about these things collectively and like mm -hmm. sort of like together so we don't feel like alone. So I find that's like a big part of who I am or who I strive to be. 
Right, bringing communities together to have these conversations. That's wonderful. So the first question I always ask my guests, Rabia, is if I say the word belonging or feeling a sense of belonging, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Um, I think what comes to mind is identity because mm -hmm. I think to truly belong, our identity has to be honored, valued, represented and seen completely. So I would say, you know, when I think about belonging, I quickly think about identity and I think about my own experiences of not really having my identity like centered or valued and it always feeling like I had to sort of give up parts of who I was to fit in to whether it was schooling or whether it was just any other, you know, space. Um, and so belonging to me, like, I guess being um, committed to equity work, belonging is a big part of that. And I think, you know, identity is a big part of belonging. So I, I quickly think of like identity and what it looks like and who find the sense of, you know, belonging right away, who doesn't and who, who never does because of like structural as well as individual actions. Right, you know, I think that's so important that we look at that identity and it fits right in with my first question. Well, the second question, but my first question specifically about you and your experiences. Mm -hmm. um, how, do, how did your childhood experiences as a student influence how, your practice as an educator and what you were just talking about in terms of being recognized and feeling that you have that identity, which is your sense of belonging. Yeah, I think, you know, my experiences as a child really have informed the work that I want to do. And so, um, you know, coming to Canada when I was six with my family, um, you know, like, I don't know if we moved into like what I would say like a racially or culturally diverse community. I would say that there were like people of different, you know, my friends were definitely like racialized kids. So, you know, I remember having like racialized friends growing up, but I remember going to school and never really having my home life, home life connect to the school life or even included or even like necessarily welcomed. So it was kind of like something different was happening at home and then there was like something different happening at school. So there wasn't really like a bridge. Mm -hmm. And so for a long time, I just felt like there was a particular way to be like a Canadian or there was a particular identity or way to be in the space. And so I think what that meant was like being embarrassed of a lot of my own identities, particularly my religious identity, as well as my cultural identity, because they were so visible, right? So mm -hmm. I, I think, you know, my own experiences have really informed the work that I wanted to do because I always felt like in spaces, I always had to give up parts of myself or hide who I really was. Um, yeah, like hide and give up parts of who I was. And it, it's not like people had like bad intentions, but I think it's just the impact of the structure, you know, the structure values one type of identity and our, our children, myself included, as well as my siblings who grew up here, um, we felt like we did have to give up parts of ourselves. And then, you know, um, going into the process of like reclaiming that in my teens, or even when I was older, like reclaiming parts of my identity, my language, my culture, that was a process too because then you're kind of like trying to reclaim who you were because at the end of the day you're still trying to be 
those two different identities like you're trying to find a bridge you know and you're never you're not totally like for me like I'm not totally like Pakistani not totally Canadian so you're trying to find like this bridge in the middle mm-hmm. and I think you know a, a lot of that has to do with like reclaiming who you are or finding a way to reclaim who you are but I remember as a child really um you know feeling like I didn't necessarily belong or I didn't really fit in and just really feeling embarrassed of like parts of my identities whether that was like putting on henna for Eid or something you know I didn't want to do it or I tried to go to the washroom and like wash my hands so that it would oh wow um, but yeah but yeah. like I think it shows you like the impact you know mm-hmm. and the impact of yeah like the impact of just the structure that you're in as a child and you're not valued or seen or you know some there might be some like recognition of like okay what do you celebrate or some but it doesn't go beyond that and it leaves you feeling like confused because there is like this identity that you're like striving to be there are those unspoken um, messages constantly in your space whether it's the curriculum people's action so I I would feel I feel like you know um, a lot of my childhood was focused on that but I feel like even um, like the curriculum messages particularly like I Mm -hmm. didn't necessarily have the language to articulate what I was going through as a child you just felt so confused and you know you're just you're just living your life but I think now that I'm older and I'm like reflecting and I have more vocabulary and just more like language to describe Mm -hmm. my own experiences I I felt very much like on the outside like sitting on the outside of school sitting on the outside of curriculum like looking in but never really seeing myself and I think there's this like one particular experience I had where we went to this um sort of like a museum here which sort of talked about the history of the past Mm -hmm. um like the history of early settlers and like pioneers and there was this activity like where we got to like dress as you know early settlers which in itself is like problematic but yes um, (laughs) so problematic but I remember like being in like grade three or something and all of the folks that we saw at that museum who had impacted like Toronto or Canada were like white and so I just felt like I felt like I think that was like the greatest moment where I felt like I was sitting on the outside and I had this like weird experience where I was just I'm not gonna fit in here like I don't belong here like I see myself here so at that moment when in grade three I didn't have the language to of course describe what I was going through but now reflecting there were all of these structural things as well as individual things and I don't like I my teachers were always really nice like I remember them fondly so it's not like their intention was bad but the impact I guess with the structure and its relation to belonging right like you know it was yeah it was that was like really the lived experience yeah yeah go ahead yeah yeah and just to connect it to your other point like so my own experiences and like reflecting on my own experiences has really informed like the type of work that I want to do um with like my positional power as an educator and I have a niece so I think about like you know what are her experiences going to be and so her like my niece as well as other children just make me very like inspired to do something and you know like try to change the narrative or like yes so yeah I guess 
that would be kind of like an answer. Right. And it, it seems like what you're trying to do is, is work within the system and push, push the push teachers and parents and students to realize um, and be able to articulate that they need to see themselves in, in, in the schooling um, rather than feeling that they're an outsider or feeling that disconnect between home culture and the school culture or what's happening in the school, um, which, is, which is so important. And you talked about reclaiming your identity um, did that start when you were a teenager, when we usually start looking for our identities and start finding our way to articulate and, and talk about it? And what did that look like? Was that more at home? Was that at school? Was that amongst your friends? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think it was always a process, you know, because my family mm -hmm. was always really my family always like centered our cultural as well as our religious identity so that was kind of like the foundation was always there but it was right. just like me and like you know us sort of like trying to navigate what that meant and looked like so mm -hmm. I guess like reclaiming wasn't like a single action but it was more like sure. like a, a journey or like a, a progress or like you know and I think I would say that it started in high school because in high school we we learned a lot of like different types of curriculum I would say and what I mean is that you know oftentimes in elementary as well as middle school it was a very like Eurocentric version of of a that's a good way to put it yes and then in high school not to say that it wasn't necessarily like that in high school but I feel like in high school there was a little bit more flexibility in terms of what you wanted to like research or study and so mm -hmm. all of those like questions that I had I kind of had like um I guess like a platform to right like look through them particularly like in grade 12 and then also like post-secondary was really where you know for the first time we were I was able to read books like from my community or I was able to take courses that were about my identities and it was in an asset-based way not really necessarily like a deficit way like yeah so I think just having the exposure or having the privilege to have the exposure helped in like reclaiming uh and so I wonder what it can look like to not have to wait so long yes. you know what if we yes start in the yes future. that what you just said yes yeah, yeah <laughs> why, why I, do we have to wait until high school or the end of high school yes yeah and beyond yeah like it just takes so much time and um yeah so I guess that's why maybe I'm passionate about the early years and like setting that foundation mm -hmm. right right yeah um you are an advocate, obviously you've talked about it um, a little bit already. You're an advocate of students of color and those who are marginalized within the education system. And you created an anti-racism checklist and mentioned the work of Enid Lee. I, I saw it on your website. Um, now I'm quoting your website. You, you say the anti-racism checklist is created as a tool to support our work to ensure our resources are free from racial assumptions and stereotypes. <clears throat> the resource is a starting point and has questions and prompts, <clears throat> excuse me, to support our own critical thinking. Race is not a separate category in the checklist because the hope is that it is a perspective and lens that runs through the entire checklist. 
it is to be embedded in all categories. Mm -hmm. And you go on to say, I was inspired by to think critically about anti-racism from the works of many scholars, especially Enid Lee from the book, Rethinking Our Classrooms, Teaching for Equity and Justice, Volume One. And in, from her book, uh, there's a passage you quote uh, about perspective and uh, Enid says, point of view that cuts across all subject areas and addresses the histories and experiences of people who have been left out of the curriculum. Its purpose is to help us deal equitably with all the cultural and racial differences that you find in the human family. It's also a perspective that allows us to get at explanations for why things are the way they are in terms of power relationships. So my question is, can you describe the thinking when, that went into your checklist and what elements are important to remember when assessing resources? Yeah, thank you so much for bringing that up. Um, the checklist, I would say, came largely out of like my master's of education work because um, <clears throat> like I've always been passionate about books and like reading. And I really attribute that to like my family, particularly like my parents taking me to the Toronto Public Library when we were younger and mm -hmm. like going to uh, just doing all of the programs there, like reading challenges and book clubs. So I always have loved books. Um, so, so, you know, what I, what my master's of education work was really focused on was seeing how books, uh, like representation in books and how books mm -hmm. can be used as a tool for like social justice education. Right. Um, and, you know, books are such a big part of like the elementary classroom or any classroom, really, like they're such a big part, you know, educators use them to really springboard um, different units or different conversations. And so, you know, it made me passionate about like thinking about, well, what what type of books are we using and what are the messages in the books that we're using and right. why are we using certain books? Why are we always using that one book to, you know, teach that particular mm -hmm. concept over and over? So that was kind of like the background thinking and then um, being really passionate about thinking about like the voices that have been silenced or erased or like left out in the curriculum. Yes. sort of like prompted me to create this checklist because you know we all want to do like anti-racism work or equity work but it's hard to know like where to start yes um, and like so you know true. for me for me like i had like the privileged space to go into like a master's classroom and really think about these things mm -hmm. um not that i didn't like work hard to get into the program but it is a very privileged like space you know where you can actually like think about these big concepts and so I wanted to create like a tool that was like accessible for all educators of like different grades. Um, and so I just thought like a toolkit could be a way that, you know, like books that we use could be analyzed to see if they are like relevant, responsive and books that we should be like including in the classroom because books give so many messages, you know, I never really saw people like me reflected in books when I was going to school. And so that can leave, um, it can leave you with feeling like you don't belong, right? And so right. for me, um, I was really passionate about using the tools that are already very much part of like the classroom and just thinking about the messages within them. So the different the toolkit has different like areas that you can sort of like like uh, focus on to see 
what uh, what your what the books that you're using or the books that you have communicate. And so there's different sections. So the first part is, part is like centering yourself, like because of your identities, what do you what do you see? What might you miss? So like being aware of yourself mm -hmm. um, because we bring ourselves to the work, right? Of anything that we do, and then the other like important parts are to like see who's writing and illustrating the story you know for too long um people who are like in different communities have been writing about different communities and so i think it's important to center voices from the communities that we're trying to like advocate mm -hmm. for or support uh so that really goes into um then you know checking the intricacies of the book like where are the characters set what are they doing um who's helping who like those types of like then intricacies that go into detail but the premise was really to um make like a tool like not necessarily a checklist but like a way of thinking mm -hmm. that sort of becomes mm -hmm. ingrained that was the hope right yeah because when you're, you're thinking about a checklist it's if i can tick all the boxes then i'm done yeah. whereas if you're <laughs> using it as a basis as a framework Mm -hmm. uh for your thinking in terms mm -hmm. of when you're looking at different um books or pieces of literature whatever it is uh mm -hmm. that you see it for what it is and look at those particular types of prob problems that could mm -hmm. be exposed like you you were saying where mm -hmm. people are writing from an outsider's view about something where you could find the same resource with you know written and illustrated by someone who's actually lived that experience so yeah so mm -hmm. that's it's a, a really important way of looking at you know anti-racism and this equity work that you're doing i wanted to highlight you're the recipient uh, of the 2021 elementary teacher federation of toronto the etfo award for anti-racism and equity work that you do and i could certainly see now why uh, the award committee noted the newsletter that you started and that you believe books are critical tools, which you were just talking about, to be used in classrooms to engage in equity, build critical consciousness and springboard conversations. I'd love for you to talk more about the role of books in anti-racism and DEI work from the lens of what can we all be doing? What, what are the resources we could be looking for? Obviously your framework or checklist is a place to start, but what are the kinds of things, what's your process for going through books? Because there are so many picture books and children's mm -hmm. books. And if we're talking specifically elementary, which is really your target, because mm -hmm. that's where it's not happening so much. Although now it's more, more we're more mm -hmm. aware of it, but how do people mm -hmm. get started and, and what's your process? yeah um i think the process is like ongoing as well like i think you know my process is always centering myself first like mm -hmm. who am i in relation to what i'm trying to do so i'll give an example um a couple of years ago i was a teacher librarian at a school and we were creating like an anti-black racism book list because that was like a gap in our our collection our book collection and so you know i had to do my own work first like i had to think about like well i'm not black so what am i missing or what am i focusing more on when i'm choosing books right. um what where do i go to first like do i just go to books that are like about about the civil rights period or about like enslavement or 
um, those types of things? Or am I actually going to books that, you know, show a diversity of Black characters and everyday experiences, you know, where they're just, you know, they're represented as any other group. So I had to do my own work. I think I'm constantly aware of like what I know and what I don't know and what I need to learn with the group that I'm trying to advocate for or, or be an ally with. Um, so I think, you know, that's definitely one. And just knowing, uh, I guess, you know, that goes into like knowing myself and like how I approach the work and then doing my own like work. Like if it's something I don't know, then I need to research and go into, you know, people who are doing the work. Like it's a lengthy process, but for example, if I'm trying to center like East Asian characters, I'm not East Asian. So I'm going to go to people who are like doing that work and like kind of like learn from them. Yes. And then once I've sort of learned, I can use the framework that I have that's like a general anti racist framework. But I think, you know, I guess the two things that stand out for me is like thinking about who I am, my own identities, and how that informs what I want to do. And then also seeking out, you know, people who are already doing the work and not necessarily like making them do the work or like using them, but learning from them, I think learning from them and centering their voices and like reading what they're writing, reading what they're talking about, listening to them, uh, listening to what they're looking for in books um, based on, you know, identities. And so I think, I think that's kind of the process is like knowing yourself, doing your mm -hmm. own research, right. which involves going to people who are doing the work and then sort of using the framework, then going out and being kind of comfortable to use the framework. But of course, knowing that there's always going to be things that we might miss and stuff. And I guess that's part of equity is like, we're, it's, we're, it's always about learning like more. Mm -hmm. yes. And I think we get so nervous about like making mistakes um, that we kind of become immobilized, but I think we have to just do the work, you know, and just learn from it and just right. be honest about it. That kind right. of helps us. I guess that's my process as I reflect. Yeah, that, that's really interesting, the sort of reaching out while you're learning also, but to learn from others who perhaps have that perspective and insight that you, you don't necessarily mm -hmm. have to begin with. Are there mm -hmm. particular, particular groups or people that you reach out to that you have that you found? What I find really amazing now is that there is like a big movement towards bringing like uh, books that are like representative and inclusive. So like social media is really like the place where I kind of like connect with people and it might just be connecting with their like pages. And so, yeah, there are like a couple like Instagram groups or like even Facebook groups or Twitter, Twitter groups. Um, or Twitter posts that, you know, are really talking about this and bringing this work mm -hmm. to, to light. So I guess I would say that I'm part of like those, um, those groups or, you know, where those groups and like whenever they post something or if there's particularly something I'm looking for, then I'll go to like those voices that are doing the work. So I guess, I think social media has really helped with this work and connected us, you know? Yes, yeah. Um, the award and congratulations, by the way, I didn't mention that. Uh, Thank you, so much. you must be very proud. That's, that's quite a recognition. Um, the award mentions a newsletter. I think it's a monthly newsletter that you started mm -hmm. a couple of years ago. Can you talk a little bit about the newsletter? And then, of course, um, all of this will be in the show notes, too, so people can connect with that and 
sign subscribe or sign up for it but tell us thank a little you. bit about the newsletter yeah thank you so much um for your kind words the newsletter really started like last year um i think last year september and really it i think part of it was because i was i finished like my long-term occasional position as a teacher librarian but i still wanted to be like books were really like the ways that I do my work or like I'm really passionate. So I wanted yes. like a way to connect. And so what I thought about was that, you know, maybe I can have a newsletter where I share books and center on different like equity topics or themes mm -hmm. and sort of like model or give, you know, folks suggestions about different books that they can use to do this particular work. And so that's kind of where it came out and it became like a monthly um it became a monthly thing but, but right now it's kind of like on the back burner <laughs> uh, i do hope to get back to it but um yeah you're working on your phd right now right <laughs> yes yes. yeah that's exciting um, thank you yes it's exciting and overwhelming and nerve-wracking <laughs> <laughs> i know i've done it not yes. too long ago so i know how it is yes that's it is amazing congratulations yeah. thank you yes yeah what is your focus? Is it also books, reading, literature to, to sort of I center mean, the conversation or have you gone in a different direction? Uh, right now it's like really open. Um, I That is definitely like a passion, what you just said, but I'm also very interested in um, like, I guess like there's like a couple of things I'm interested in. So I don't really have like a focused topic right now because I'm doing more of the coursework right now. Right. But yeah, you have time, but I'm sure you're thinking about things. <laughs> Some yeah. of the things that I'm thinking about is just like an anti-oppressive like social studies curriculum and like mm -hmm. thinking what that means, literacy practices of like racialized families. Like those are some topics, but I'm really not sure. And it seems quite overwhelming right now. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You get the foundation for your courses and something will probably speak to you as you as you go along. But if you're like me, it was hard for me to choose because there's so many interesting yes. aspects in education. Yes. So, yeah. So I, I wish you so much luck. It's uh, it's an interesting journey. Rather daunting has some speed bumps along the way. But uh, mm -hmm. if you keep pushing through and you're passionate about your your study, what you're going to look into, it'll carry you through. So, so that's awesome. Um, Rabia, this has been fantastic. I really enjoyed it. Is there anything you wanted to talk about or anything that I didn't ask you about? No, it was awesome talking to you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. So where can people find you? Where, where are or is the best place to find you? Um, I would say my website, uh, rabiacoker.com, as well as Twitter. Um, and my Twitter hashtag is, it's rabia underscore kokar1. And so okay. I usually just share, you know, the different work I'm doing there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah I, and, I would say those are two big places. And okay. uh, my Instagram page, rabia reads, would be um just where i sort of try to share like picture book recommendations and you know right yeah. i i noticed uh on the website you mentioned rabia reads as a kind of a consultancy is that just sort of what you're calling the work that you're doing to with literature and and the kind of checklists and the belonging bingo books bingo and oh, so yeah. forth um yeah so there's just like resources i create um just 
you know, focused on mostly literacy, but then I do have a consulting like uh, business, which is called Rabia Teaches. Um, so yeah, I offer different forms of consulting, oftentimes focused on equity and like social justice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you mentioned uh, professional development training for parents and teachers. Is it, is it through Rabia Teaches that you do all of that? Yes, yes that's through that, yep. That's awesome. And so if they, uh, people go to the website, they can find out more about that on the website? Yes, absolutely. There's more information on the website and how to get in touch as well. Okay, perfect, perfect. Mm -hmm. Robbie, this has been awesome. I'm so glad that we connected on social media so we had this chance to talk. You're so inspiring. I, uh, I wish you all the best in all that you're doing including your PhD and your continued work uh, with equity and anti-racism. Thanks again. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you're inspired by what you heard, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about belonging, check my website, Journeys to belonging that's journeys number two belonging dot webstarts dot com see you next week